listening to episode 42, chapter 5 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. All right, Chris, I want to kind of focus on the, the stuff from the, the last chapter, the, the work that happens during the dark nights of the soul. And I want to kind of apply that to our process as a daily growth discipleship. So uh, what was one of the things that you found really helpful in the, uh, the dark night of the soul? bit of the conversation that we just had with uh, Dave and Beth. So if we're talking about a, how does creating a community help us overcome the dark night of the soul? Number one, by normalizing it. But so then what does that mean to normalize it? Because you can normalize it as in, oh yeah, that's just part and parcel. That's, that's fine. But then we don't really do Almost anything. in a way like to diminish it. Yeah. And, and I do think normalizing it is half the battle, but I guess you're right. We we could normalize it in a way that yeah we write it off then, um, it, it, it you know, growing up I guess it's similar to you know having altar calls every week and so you just you can sort of kind of get into a routine of what that altar call looks like and same people go down every week no matter what or you, you know you can sort and then of we forget that. to actually take the time to recognize how valuable a moment that yeah. is in the development of a follower of Jesus, I think. Yeah. But then there, there comes that, well, why is then a community around those people helpful? What is it about that community that's going to be helpful in that normalized situation? Because it's not, it's not just like, you know, I mean, you can have a community around you. Job had a community around him technically, you know, but they weren't weren't real helpful. helpful. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, knowing what to do. And see, I, I, so I guess that I think that needs to be part of our discipleship training in general is that, it, it, you know, so much of when we use the word discipleship becomes about our personal journey. That's what we think of first. We don't think about our journey with other people, with the community. Um, I guess, to be fair, that's step three, but, you know, <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> Um, there, there's no steps. It's They're in, not necessarily it's in the sequential. middle. It's like that Greek chiasm. That's we put right. The important thing at the middle. So no, identity is still more important. I would argue. No, no, it is. Well, because yeah, you're not going to be a disciple without a, without that identity. But um, but that community becomes just as vital in that in that situation. So we have to think about okay, well, what is my responsibility? Or and maybe that's not even the right way to say it because that sort of conjures up. I've got to do this, but it becomes my identity as a disciple now doesn't just include my relationship with God. It now includes my relationships with the other believers I'm walking with, the community around me. And so I do have a responsibility in a sense, not because I have to do it, but because I love them. Yeah. It's that it's, it's a responsibility motivated by love. You know, you don't, it's your responsibility to take care of your children, but I don't take care of my kids because it's like, oh gosh, I hope they don't die or, you know, like sometimes I guess maybe I was about to say, sometimes you might. Well, no, 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 not for my kids, but, but you know, like sometimes with a pet, that's how you feel. You're like, oh, I don't want to feed them or, you know, I don't want to get up and let them out. But like with my children, it's a joy to do those things because, you know, I want them to have good things, you know? Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's annoying when they're all barking and asking for three or four different things all at once. But, um, so, but, but that's how I think we should 
get at giving to one another in our communities is it's like, well, what do you need when you're going through a particularly hard time? And like for me personally, that's a hard thing to hear. But so, I mean, this is a two-way street. We've got to get good at then saying and hearing maybe I don't need anything. I need, I need silence and solitude. Okay. See ya, you know, let us know. And, and to really mean that, not just have that be one and of those. And maybe not even just to see you go, go do that, but being the ones who stand guard around them, yeah. protecting that silence and solitude for them. That's a good point too. Um, I don't know. You talk about the, the need for community and not seeing it as a, as an obligation or a duty, but doing it out of love. If we, th- if we really understand our identity as beloved children of God who are ever increasingly taking on his character, look at how God has chosen to, well, not chosen to, I don't know how you think about that theologically, but look at how God relates both to himself and to humanity. He, does, he relates to himself in the Trinity. He relates to humanity in love, and it's the way, the way that he interacts with the persons around him is out of his nature. Mm-hmm. He does those things because he is that way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that we necessarily need to worry about doing it out of an obligation. If we continually seek to become more like him, it's about not necessarily just mimicking his nature, although there is some mimicking too, but... yeah. But only in the way I would say act out of in the way of practice. Who, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a beginning to act out of who you are, not doing something because you want to be like somebody else. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, if you were playing a sport or something like that, and for whatever reason, I'm thinking tennis. You know, it's not to imitate the way the instructor hits the ball exactly. That's not the goal. The goal is to be able to play a full game of tennis, and that's going to require a lot of improvisation in the way that you might hit the ball. But at the beginning, in order to form your stroke and to get the angle right and to understand how the racket is going to be formed, you have to do it in a very maybe meticulous practicing style. And so maybe maybe some of that imitation in the early stages becomes that. It's just but but it's that it's that nature of training, not not that that then becomes a legalistic way about it, you know? And so that sort of helps lay the early foundation for forming us. And I guess that's how I view a lot of what we talk about with practice, the basics and some of those spiritual disciplines is that those things lay the foundation for our character to be formed in Christ, even though those things aren't the goal. Praying is not the goal to get better at prayer. Getting better at communing with God is the goal. Now that happens through prayer, you know, yeah. or and He forms us through that. But you know, the the spiritual discipline itself of having a quiet time or whatever isn't the goal. It's, it's to be the able to, opportunity for the transformation to occur. That's right. That's right. And so, and then that transfer. Once you get sort of the practice down, you understand what it means to talk to God. You understand um, what it means to listen to God for maybe a prolonged period of time of 15, 30 hour long period in the mornings. Now, when you're in the meeting and somebody says something to you and you feel those anger, or those emotions or the shame and fear, or whatever it is welling up within you, and then you hear God speak to you, it's okay. That doesn't define you. You're mine. And you're like, 
you can feel that peace come on you because now it's not that you weren't prepared or somebody's challenging you or, or whatever the situation might be. It becomes, you can hear God's voice and now you're recentered in his presence. You're now recentered in who you are and you can be present in the moment again. That's what it means to actually practice prayer is so that you can take yep. it and improvise with it. And I had a somewhat somewhat successful experience with just that yeah. yesterday morning. Mm. So I was driving to work and I was getting ready to turn left from a major street onto a side street. Always a dangerous thing here. And somebody was trying to turn from that side street, turn left onto the major road. So they were like, technically by law, they wait for me to yes. turn in front of them and then they go when the traffic is clear. However, what happened was they turned in front of me to kind of get past where I was going to turn and then they were going to let me turn behind them. Yeah. And I'm sure in their mind it was brilliant and some great feat of kindness. <laughs> but I did not see it like that. A law had been violated and yeah. I was irate, laid on my horn. Mm-hmm. And then about 30 seconds later, I'm on down this side street and God just reminds me, Literally doesn't matter. <laughs> Literally doesn't matter. And he just brought me back to the fact that I had let my anger in the present moment overwhelm me. And I had stepped out of my identity as a child of God where things like that have no reason to threaten me. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like thinking about what the Borms are talking about with this recognize, reflect, and respond as sort of a habit loop that we, or feedback loop that we get in the habit of using. Because even though you might have not recognized that early in the process, you did recognize it. It's about it. the recognition. And so I think, you know, if you want to talk in terms of wins and losses, which I don't necessarily think always applies, but let's use it for the sake of argument— if you lost the beginning battle 30 seconds previous, <laughs> that's okay because you won the recognition battle. Now, the next time somebody does that, and since we live in Springfield, that will happen again. It will probably happen on my way home from this place right after this. That's true. Maybe you'll get it 15 seconds earlier instead of 30 seconds, you know? <laughs> and we've used this analogy before. It's like a rep at the wor at, during yeah. your workout at the gym. Yep. I mean, you may not, actually, we've got a friend who's been on this podcast before, um, just yesterday, this morning, posted that yeah. he was able to deadlift, what was it, 425? 455 pounds. 455, yeah. I knew it had a five in it. I'm jealous. I'm, but I'm, he, was, he was talking <laughs> like he'd been trying to do this for a while, yeah. and he tried several times and failed. Yeah, he even posted but, a video of his failure. But it was the repetition. Yeah. He did it, and then he tried again, and then he tried again, and as he was doing that, he was building up his muscles to be able to actually do that thing. Yep. Exactly. And so then you're able to do that repetition and it feels almost normal. I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a great work, but it, 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 it always amazes me. This is funny. It always amazes me how amazed I am when I see God's character in some way reflected through <laughs> yeah. me. Because I'm like, this is really weird. Like, I know this isn't me. 
doing this thing, you know, like for whatever reason, it's that piece that surpasses understanding that it's sort of like, like I remember one time when I was in high school and my car had gotten broken into. And I mean, I was really aware that there was a lot of people around. And so like sometimes though, then that can, that can cause a response to say like, you're really, really angry and irate because then everybody feels that with you. And, you know, there's sort of like a validation that that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. But I remember, I don't remember exactly what the lesson was, but I remember I had just went through some stuff with God around that time. And I handled that whole situation way calmer than I normally would have. And I mean, you know me, I I tend to, anger is always a quick, uh, a a quick shot away from me. That's right, man. That's, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot for me to get angry. And I remember handling that with just like, well, you know, I guess that's just the way the enemy's trying to play it today. I don't know. You know, I could just approach it with the peace. But I remember later thinking like, wow, that really was not characteristic of me. And I know it wasn't me. Like that was the spirit's work through me in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess then like we talked about though, uh, in this week's conversation, I have in no way mastered my anger. I do not approach all situations (laughs) like that. (laughs) Right. It's not a constant, like linear uphill thing. It's more of a roller coaster type thing where, I don't know, one day you're doing great. The next you're doing worse than you've ever done. Yeah. That's the way it feels. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I think it's important to go back to to what David and Beth were saying. It's it's not so much about getting past something as it is deepening the intimacy that we have with our Father. Mm-hmm. And if that remains our goal, then really nothing else matters. I think when we get caught up in trying to overcome the next turtle or get to some place of perfection, we're really trying to hang our hats on some achievement that we can reach or attain on our own power, or seemingly on our own power anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming to find more and more that the Christian life is about letting go of that desire. Yeah. Which is really, to me, the undoing of the first sin that we find in the Garden of Eden, which was to be like God. To it was a desire to achieve, to become something more than what we were created to be. Mm-hmm. And the undoing of that then is letting go, falling back into God's gracious arms, where he says, I've got you. Don't worry about that stuff. Just be with me. Mm-hmm. And that's the heart. That's... It sounds so nice and so easy, but I think that has got to be the hardest thing to do, at least for me, because all of a sudden I get all the butts going off in my head. Well, but, 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 but what I'm actually hearing as you describe this is it's like, this is the new form of Phariseeism. It's, it's a spiritual form of it where the Pharisees admittedly were doing what they thought was the best way to be holy. They, but what did they do? They got obsessed with it. Everything became about achieving holiness. So then you start writing. Because God you know, had called them to do that. Because God had called them to be holy. So what are you going to do? You write, you've got, well, you know, I do this, this, and this, and this. Well, and let's interpret this law by adding all of these other statutes that really help us keep that law. All of, and, and, you know, it starts off really, really by doing these little small things. But really what they're trying to do is what? They're trying to achieve, trying to become 
something holy on their own account in this case, and, and, and Jesus called them on it. Well, really, that's all we're doing. We're just not doing it necessarily by the law. Most of the time we are, but even what yeah. you're talking about here, yeah. we can start trying to achieve from a spiritual perspective of, you know, I need to go and do great things for God, or I need to become, you know, uh, spiritual by getting over all of these hurdles and conquering myself. And, I need to be able to practice the right spiritual disciplines, the right time of day for the yeah. right amount of time. But, you're, but I need to master my anger. Right, that itself could almost become a holiness that I'm trying to achieve on my own, and, and so, it's not that God doesn't want you to master your anger. No, no, no. Yeah, He does. It's just that, but I can't do it. You can't do it, and that's not how you're going to get about mastering your anger. No, no. You get about mastering your anger by falling back into the arms of grace and letting God say, "I've got this. Don't worry about it." Which is exactly what my experience was when my car got broken into. It was not me. That was God saying that to me and doing that work through me. And so I think, I think then maybe we need to hang our, you know, everybody has some of these experiences where God jumps in there. And if you haven't had them, you will have them. And if you haven't had them and you want to have them, I think you just need to simply start by asking. But once you have these things, you start having experiences that you can begin to hang your hat on and say, right, like we talked about in this episode, like those are moments where I've seen God and God was faithful in those moments. I know God has been faithful in your life, Josh. I know God has been faithful in the lives of people in scripture and the lives of my parents and my friends and, you know, on and on and on. These things serve to help us build our faith in order to be able to walk more securely in that. So even though we might not see them all the time, I think it's extremely important then to reflect on those things often so that we can, those are just doing reps, reps of faith, right? Like let's just, let's exercise that repetition of faith. And as we do that, when we're seeking him for his sake, for just that relationship's sake, um, it changes everything. And so, so this was a story I wanted to share and, uh, why they were talking about, right? Um, when we talk, start talking about like the dark night of the soul and um, it reminded me of the story that they, that uh, David and Beth tell at the beginning of the book. It's, it's in the introduction and they talk about a guy who had come for spiritual direction, didn't feel God. And so Beth sort of talked about it in chapter four there where he says, um, you know, I'm just not feeling anything anyway. Through this process, he recognized, oh, God's withdrawal from like that visceral feeling of his presence really seeks to ignite my hunger for God himself. Because a lot of times we can get into, I'm just seeking him for his presence. Now, now it's just about the things that God gives me, not necessarily wanting to be with God, right? Um, like marriage is a great example of that. You know, a lot of times you want to be around your significant other early in the relationship, not because you like them, although you do, but it's really because of how you feel they about that. You feel good That's right. And, and the point of the honeymoon period ending is the fact that now you have to grow together as people, not as because you always give me those warm and fuzzy tingling. Now, anybody who's gone through that experience will tell you the second part is better. It's a deeper, richer relationship when you get past 
the, I mean, the, the feel goods feel good. Enjoy it for what it is. But so it's the same, same with God. And I got a little bit of a glimpse of that the other day when my daughter came and sat, like I asked her, I said, come sit with me. She goes, why? What do you want to do? Nothing. I just want to sit with you. <laughs> you know, and I realized, I was like, man, I'm asking that of my daughter. I didn't want to play. Like she wants to play. And I'm like, let's just sit together for a little bit first. Right. Like, I just want to be with her. And I had one of those moments where I just felt God say to me, that's what I want to do with you, Chris. And, you know, that stuff hits me hard because mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing that personally. Yeah. Um, but through my experience with my daughter, God is able to use that and speak to me. I mean, goodness gracious, if me, if I have those feelings towards my daughter, what must God, <laughs> you know, yeah. who is love have feelings towards me? And so, um, and, and sometimes even though I have a hard time believing that's true, I think then that's where that faith comes in to play and doing those repetitions where it's like, well, I have seen him come through in my life, you know? And so there's that, that there's just a process of trust and leaning into that. Yeah. And you know, I find like if, if people are looking for ways to actually become more aware of God's work in their life, I think there's a few things that we can do. Like, like you said, we can ask, um, just ask God for those kind of moments. Um, the other thing we can do is, uh, like our, our guest, uh, Father Albert mentioned last year, it's about keeping your ear to the ground, paying attention to the present moment. We kind of talked about that in uh, the first part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, look, look at what God's doing. Or look at what's happening around you at the moment. The pause, look, and listen. And just, just, yeah, pause and ask God. What are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in this meeting? What are you doing while I'm in traffic right now? And you may not get an answer right away, but just get into the practice of, of asking that. And I think something else that you can do as well is, and you and I have done this several times, ask the people around you, mm. what do you see God doing in me? It's a good what question. do you see God doing around me? Uh, because we have blinders that cover our eyes. I mean, there are certain aspects of us that we can't see just because we're too close to us. Mm-hmm. And Chris, you see something about my life that maybe I don't see all the time. Like, uh, you know how it is. I mean, you look at yourself in the, in the mirror and you think, oh, I've always looked like this. <laughs> uh, but in reality, you, you meet somebody that you haven't seen in 10, 15, 20 years and they, they see you again for the first time. and They're like, oh, wow, you look really different. Yeah, you gained a lot of weight, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, being outside the situation mm-hmm. and not you can see transformation more readily because they're not around you all the time. Yeah. They see short snapshots where you see the full thing playing out in slow motion. It's like the difference between watching a like an acorn grow into an oak tree in real time versus watching a stop motion thing of snapshots taken every six months or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you watch the snapshots taken every six months, it's, it's going to look like a lot more rapid transformation. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the ways that the the body, the community of believers around us, can help us foster a sense of awareness of God's work in our lives. And so, yeah, if you're if you're struggling to let your faith become sight, start doing some of these things. Just really simple. Ask God to show you what He's doing. Ask others what are what they see God doing in your life, and I think you'll be amazed at, at what happens over time. Yeah, and and if you're that, it was Father Albert said to stop, look, and listen. Just 
take a second to pause, look around, see what's going on, and then listen to what God wants to speak to you through the moment or through the people in the room. Again, the Borums have that um, recognize what God is doing. I think that's probably that stop, look, and listen, reflect on it, take some time, whether that's 20 seconds, an hour, a whole week to for a retreat to reflect on, chew it over, and then respond to it. What is God wanting you to do in response to whatever that situation is? And I think however successful the early starts are, begin that journey now. That's got to be the critical, critical thing to developing your ability to see. And um, we're not perfect at it. The Borums don't claim to be perfect at it. But that's the process we're on. And man, getting to see God show up in your everyday life is really, really radical. (laughs) And I think that's a, a simple way to begin. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Dave and Beth's work, check out fallcreekabbey.org. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.